and on a personal level, just realizing how in a weird way, because I was so conditioned to be such a a warrior and to be such survivor that it was easier for me to be hard on myself than to be gentle and soft. Welcome to the Forging Metal Podcast. My name is Ron Duran Jr. and I will be your blacksmith as we explore the world of adversity and doing hard things. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. Let's get to work. The forge is now open. Elizabeth Lati is an international presenter on topics related to positive psychology, courage, leadership, and high performance. She is also a transformational mindset coach supporting individuals who are committed to cultivating compassionate leadership and integrity in their daily lives. She conducted her PhD research in the pioneering field on the ancient Finnish construct of Sisu, which denotes courage and determination in the face of extreme adversity and the ability to unlock hidden inner strength when it is needed. I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like forging metal. I consider Elizabeth my Sisu sister. Her new, new book, Gentle Power, is so aligned with what I'm thinking uh, that I would call it the sister book to the book that I'm writing right now. So uh, she's also an ultra runner, which, as you all know, I dabble in myself. So we have a lot in common, and this really was a fun jam session on doing hard things in the face of extreme adversity. I hope you enjoy it. Let's get to it. You know I always like to say that I love all my guests. I have guests that come from all walks of life and, and, you know, a lot of bring a lot of wisdom to the show, but just like, you know, parents as as much as you don't want to admit it, you have favorite kids. Right. And so I've been really looking forward to this guest today because I don't know, Elizabeth, I feel like you and I think about a lot of things in a lot of the same way. And so it's really nice to come together with somebody that shares some of your vision. And we'll talk much more about what that vision is. So I've been really looking forward to this podcast and I'm really excited to get this thing going. And I would say I, I, Elizabeth came on my radar from, I was doing a joint project as, as many of you know, with Paula Reed, the adventure psychologist. And so we, she asked me to do a contributing chapter in that book and Elizabeth was also one of the contributing authors and that's how it came on my radar. And I remember Paula, when I interviewed her, she talked about this thing, Sisu. And I, and I go, wow, that sounds familiar or, or really fascinating. And I've never heard of it. And so after we got done with the podcast, I went and Googled it and I looked for Sisu. Where, where can I find more? But I didn't know how to spell it, <laughs> you know? And so I'm, I could never find, I couldn't find anything. Every spelling I tried, I could not find it. And so for all of you listeners, it's S-I-S-U. So if you want to go check out Sisu, if you want to Google it, or maybe nowadays you just want to use ChatGPT and see what ChatGPT says about it. We're going to talk much more about that as we get going here. But that's how I that's how I learned about Elizabeth. And I went, I'll be honest, Elizabeth, I went out and read one of your, I think it was a research article. And if I remember right, it won an award or something like, I don't know, best research article of the year. And I was, I remember I was taken back of not only did I like the content, but I like, wow, this is a scientist that actually can write, <laughs> which is, is yeah, so there's, there's not a whole lot of that going around. I hate to say it, but so that was, I was very intrigued by not only the content, but also the way you wrote. So 
Let me just say, welcome to the show, Elizabeth. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Oh, thank you so much. What a what a beautiful intro and to kind of warm up the space. So thank you so much. It's an honor to be here having this CISO jam with you. Yes, yes. And I love the I love the way the, the kind of the words you use. Warm up the space. That I like that. And it fits well with the the stuff we're going to talk about today with your book. Yeah. So let's talk about that. I mean, what's that book called? Your book is, let me see from my notes here. Gentle Power, a revolution mm-hmm. in how we think, lead, and succeed using the finished art of Sisu. So, so much in there that I like. I like the word revolution. I believe mm-hmm. where we're going with this is uh, hopefully a revolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also like the fact that you have lead in there because I am a leadership professor. So mm-hmm. I'm educating hopefully the the leaders of tomorrow. And so as I read this book, I'm going to be teaching a course this summer in leadership and, and it's called Leading Oneself. And I'm like, wow, this might be the yeah. book that I have them read as required reading. I'm mm-hmm. liking it that much. I'm about a third of the way through it and I'm just, I'm just digging it. So that's, that's awesome. So let's, let's kind of get into this. Number one, where are you calling from? Where are you at? So I'm, I'm in the so-called CISO capital of hell, uh, the world, which is Helsinki. So it's the capital of Finland. Outstanding. Yeah. Halfway around the world. Well, let's just get right mm-hmm. into it. What is, what is for people like me, roughly a year ago, what does Sisu mean? Mm. So Sisu is the inner fire, the fortitude, the life force that will keep you going when you have come to a place where you feel or assume that you have used all the resource, resources that you have. So it's the place or the zone or the fortitude that begins when we are past our preconceived capacities. When we think we are done, yet we stay with the task a little more longer and we find what, I love this, how William James, who's my, he's my science hero, the man who Pretty much, well, he's the father of psychology because he did the first classes in Harvard about 100 years ago. And he used this term second wind or third wind or fourth wind. And he oftentimes in his papers discussed this energy within humans and said that we oftentimes don't push ourselves far enough to realize that we have this second or third or fourth wind. But he's very wise because he also said that in addition to pushing ourselves, we also must repair ourselves with rest. So again, there's this, how I look at Sisu, I'm bringing in the soft and the tough, the gentle and the power. The whole, all of human life is wrapped around these polarities and these dualisms. And that's why it's so interesting because it's hard to bring two opposite things together in one one life or one thought, you know, so it's quite a journey. There's so much there that's interesting. Number one, let's say, all right, so this is, let's be clear. Elizabeth and I have, have both, you know, dabbled in, in long distance ultra running. Elizabeth more than I, <laughs> at least in the long distances. But what we're talking about here is not just the physical. Is that correct? It's, it's maybe the mental, intellectual, you know, anything we have to do in life, any hard things. It applies mm. to that as well. Is that true? 
Yeah, and I, I would love to mention a book by Stephen Pressfield, which is called The War of Art. And Stephen describes his own journey with being an author and how long it took him to actually get the book out that was inside him, his, his masterpiece, you know. And he describes this character or this force that prevents people from doing all the things that they want to do, which is standing in the way of every single achievement, even the most basic thing of, you know, picking up and going to the gym or or showing up to our partner in, in the best way we can. And it's what he calls resistance, you know. So it's something that shows up every single time when there's something that's calling to us. And he says that the more meaningful the task for our personal development or our calling, the bigger the resistance. And so I love this concept because it feels like it is a dance partner to Sisu. Because Sisu is that thing that every time when we, in like a micro level, Every time when we have to push through almost like this shell that is holding us back, it's anchoring us into something old or it's a narrative or a negative thought pattern or something like that. And there is this moment when we kind of push beyond that. And that's, I would say that's a moment of micro Sisu. You know, while I say this, it's very important to note that Sisu in its bare essence, it is life force. It is the will to live, to keep on fighting. I'll just mention one thing now that I still remember it because we're going to veer off to different topics. But I recently went to see this movie called Sisu, which is by Yalmari Helander, who's a finisher. And the movie is a bit Quentin Tarantino style. It's violent and it's really crazy. But it tells the story of this old Finnish man who lives in Lapland and he gets into well there's basically an army of Nazis that want to kill him and take his gold that he found and the resistance that he shows toward them to go onwards and overcome what is going on and there's a moment when these people are talking about this man and they describe him as a man that you know he's not immortal but he simply refuses to die so that's the attitude of Sisu. And why I do love this movie, when one looks at it as a metaphor, you know, like all those thoughts that come to our mind, all that stuff that tells us that we're not worthy, we can't do it, you know, all the past failures and all that stuff that can really get us down. And I know it because I have been there. So I need to take that same attitude that Adam Korpi has, you know, the fierceness and the fortitude and pointed out to those thoughts and those hurdles that are standing in front of me. I mean, it's it's sometimes really like it's a matter of life and death almost when I look at this world and how badly people, a lot of people near me and in the world are doing, you know. So it's an important topic to discuss what we're talking about. And I love that your podcast is called Forging Metal. Metal, it's really about the spirit and the fire, not just like mental toughness, you know, but we're really going into the the heart of it you know what keeps us alive Gosh, i'm yes. really excited <laughs> yes we and i'm smiling and you know if you're watching on this video we're certainly going to get into the gentle side of it you know and the soft side of the, that you mentioned but i want to stick with this a little bit you mm -hmm. and i both know by doing hard things 
you know, for example, and I always like to tell my listeners, you don't have to go out and run a, a long ultra run mm-hmm. to get this, but I've, and maybe you would agree, Elizabeth, it has been one of the best training grounds for me to, to go out and do really physically hard things. And mm-hmm. so you talk about this idea that a, a lot of people, they have the second wind, but they don't get to it, you know? And so, and, and I, and I know from experience that voice gets really loud before we get to that second win, that voice in your head is going to do everything in its power to try to get you to quit. So my question to you, Elizabeth, how, I mean, what, what guidance do you have for people to push through that to get to that second win or that third win that we all have? I love that you say that because we all have this, our ancestors had this, we have Mm -hmm. it and we need to tap into it, but how do we do that? How does the average person tap into that? Mm. Well, I can describe how how I have done it and how I I do it. So in its essence, Sisu is a call to come really to the basics. You know, I mean, after all the thousands of miles that I ran and the hundreds of pages that I, you know, have read written about Sisu, conceptualizing it and going to the nitty-gritty and all that. And ultimately, where I'm going now, that it's coming to the basics to the very kind of small things that I do in my daily life. So when one looks at Sisu, you know, it's it's nothing but magic, you know, if you ask me. There's nothing magical about Sisu, really. It's, it's like the core essence of every single individual. And that essence wants to remain there. Its only job is to keep you alive. And on top of that, to push through that resistance so you can keep kind of how Socrates allegedly said, you know, that the examined life, you know, or he he asked that if the unexamined life is worth living or not. But so the question is not so much, how do we get more Sisu, for example? The question is, and the answer lies in what we do on our daily routines that help a build foundation so that when those moments come, when we do need to come, when we do need to push ourselves, that we wouldn't come to those moments unprepared and surprised, you know. So it is about building routines that help the person, help you, help I, to build more life force in our lives. So that those include very basic things, which everyone knows, which is how we take care of our physical bodies, sleep, foundational quality, I recently read, heard a podcast that was with a psychiatric ward nurse. And they said that when people come to the psych ward, the first thing they do is they make those people sleep. Because that's the first thing that goes when we're really disturbed and distracted is, is that sleep tends to get compromised. So the first thing to look at it is like, are we taking care of ourselves through the physical part, sleeping, the nutrition, the movement, all of these basic things. And then starting with a simple thing, making a regime for that. Well, then the second thing that I would do to make it more likely that we're able to push through in those tough moments, you know, again, not just to wait that surprisingly somehow I'm going to have this energy. I mean, we do hit home and we do manage to tap into Sisu randomly, all of us, because it is so pervasively in us 
you know, but my interest lies in how do we make it more structured? How do we make it more likely, more systematic in our lives? So the second thing is, if you think of the metaphor of someone who's ultra runner, or let's say even better, you're a boxer. So when you know that you have a big fight coming, there's not a boxer in this world who would just simply show up at the at the mat, you know, at the at the arena. But what happens before that is is repetition, repetition. You simulate those experiences. You you work on yourself to see like where do I have these energy leaks? Is it in my mind? Is it again in the physical side that I'm not practicing and taking care of myself? And there's a beautiful, there's a really awesome. I heard this from a, a close friend recently that you know more important than let's say okay you you're also a, a phd and i'm a phd but more important than that is the phw which is the pure hard work that mm. we need to put <laughs> into anything where we want to excel and it's crazy how much effort people might put in their career progress for example or in some kind of a hobby why would we not put that same conviction and effort into showing up in these areas of our life that relate to our life force you know so i don't have a magic pill that do this and you're going to have sisu but it's really an invitation to to gently build those routines in our lives grab a friend you know do it with your partner do it with your your kids and build that kind of a landing pad from where you can explore that fabric of of life force in the life. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm summarizing this, I'm jotting down notes here. You can develop this. I think you would agree. This is something that, that all of us have this power to develop and, and enhance through PHW, right? Pure hard work. Yeah. I kind of like that. I also took down a note here. You mentioned energy leaks. Can you talk more about that? So, you know, I always like to, to talk about the idea that Energy is finite, right? There's there's some wonderful books out there that, that will say that time is not the most valuable resource we have. It's actually our energy. And so mm-hmm. when you talk about energy leaks, I go, hmm, that's interesting. What does that what does that mean, Elizabeth, to to have those energy mm-hmm. leaks and, and maybe how do we plug those energy leaks so that we're not losing maybe energy to something we don't want to lose? I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what 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 do you say to that? Yeah. I love that you picked up that from all the ocean of words that I just (laughs) (laughs) blurted out. So very, very attuned. I would say that the healthiest or the lowest hanging fruit when it comes to life force and Sisu is to actually look at where we are leaking it out instead of going on this massive journey to kind of try to secure it or all of that. Oftentimes it comes down to just noticing where we are off alignment and I would say off alignment and use, for example, running as a metaphor. And I think you may relate to this maybe because most of us, when we get really tired on the long journey, we have kind of a default off posture where we start to kind of, when when the muscles get super tired, you know, and you kind of start to a little bit slip off from your from your good poster. So someone starts to lean onto the left a little bit, you know, or someone develops like some kind of a weird gait, you know, something happens. But that's really bad because you're actually in danger of creating some kind of a injury. 
and you're also using more energy because you're not in alignment with how you are when you're optimally going. How we notice when these energy leaks happens is, and this is a key point, I would say, of the podcast, of anything we maybe speak from my perspective, and it is to develop and start to focus on having awareness of what is happening inside our body, what is happening with our thoughts, what kind of thoughts are we entertaining and letting letting in, what kind of an environment do we surround ourselves with? Like also like what kind of people are we on a daily basis interacting with? You know, are they in interactions where they are life-giving in a way that I give life to them? Of course, got to first look at myself. And also are the people who are in my life are they pulling me constantly down? You know, is there like passive aggressiveness, you know, or, or are they looking at me, you know, with these like eyes of wonder, you know, and warmth that I always speak about, you know, that we have this option to choose to look at each other with the kind of eyes that there is a kind of elevation that can happen in the other person, you know, because we're so trigger sensitive to all the threats that are out there our brain is scanning for it constantly. So it is our responsibility to build those environments between us that can also kind of remind us, you know, that we 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 have what it takes, you know, we have this Sisu and this this life force. And I have to say now that I completely forgot what your question was. So maybe you can bring me back the track. <laughs> I think you were doing well. I was I was really kind of okay. just asking about what do those energy leaks look like and how do we how do we how do we manage those energy leaks? Mm. And, and again, I feel like you were yeah. you were you're right on. You know, let me share a story real quick that I think might play into this. So it was about a year ago that both Elizabeth and I were deep into writing the chapter for Paul Reed's book. I have a, a really sneaky suspicion that Elizabeth had a lot of other things on her plate too, as did I. So we were both busy and I was reaching out to Elizabeth to try to say, hey, let's, I'd love to get you on the podcast. And we went back and forth with a few emails. And I, I'm trying to remember where you were in the world then. I, I want to say Bali or, or somewhere like that. But anyway, we went back and forth. And at the end of the day, we didn't we didn't hook up. We didn't We didn't find the time. And I, I look back through my emails as I prepared for this, and it wasn't, you never really said no. It was, I would call it a soft no, but it was kind of mm. like, I'm too busy right now, Ron, and, and maybe we need to revisit this in, in, uh, at another time. And so I reached out again, I don't know, about a month ago, and I said, Elizabeth, I don't know if you remember me. We tried to get this set up, and in your graciousness, you, you know, you apologized and, 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 and that sort of thing. I said, you know what? I think sometimes one of the best things we can do is say no. And maybe that's an energy leak. I don't know. I want to hear your thoughts on that, Elizabeth. But, you know, I think there's two things here. Number one, you had the courage to tell me no. And I took it. I didn't take it personal. I just I just said, hey, Elizabeth's busy right now. It's not a, it's not a personal attack on me. But I see a lot of people that are afraid to say no, especially mm -hmm. the people pleasers out there like me. I'm going to put my hand up. Recovering mm -hmm. people pleaser. It really bothers me to tell people no. But could that be an energy leak? Mm. I feel like you read my mind because when I was answering your question, I remember the little email exchange we had just when we were preparing for this. And you mentioned this story. And I was kind of hoping that maybe we'll loop back to it because it was such a juicy topic to kind of dive into, really. And I would almost say that, you know, if someone wants to take a practice or a homework 
with them from this podcast to like take it to the practical side. You know, even if someone would focus on learning to tell the difference between a no and a yes and learn to say no and just practice that for the next, I don't know, 10 years, (laughs) nothing else, you know, just really getting into the nuances of that. It is my guess that just by that simple exercise, you can gain an immense amount of knowledge about yourself, about relationships and how to be and about yourself and about your life force, you know, and I was thinking when I was kind of musing on this yes and no dichotomy that, you know, as adults, it would seem that it would be the most basic thing to do to know how to say a yes and to know how to say a no. But because as we grow up, you know, we we layer ourselves with all kinds of patterns and we're so deeply guided by our need to belong, by our need to be loved by our need to not feel shame that we end up kind of messing up our our circuitry and for a lot of us it can be a coping mechanism all the way from childhood you know that we we know how we get that belongingness by by always being there and and I am a recovering people pleaser I have made great strides with it in the past past years I would say but it was a hard school and It goes into this topic that I discuss in the book, which is the difference between being nice versus versus kind. And when we're being nice, we we end up sometimes crossing our boundaries and and giving these yeses or uh, when we don't actually mean mean them because we want to establish that connection. We're not willing to take the risk that there's some kind of a, a consequence when we refuse something that we're offered. And on the other hand, sometimes when we do say no, and there's the fear that someone will get will get hurt, how I've trained that in my own life is I've consciously learned how to endure rejection. Like I made it a little curriculum in my own life where I made it a focus. And this is how I evolve or develop anything in my life that I make it a, a focus point. And then I really start to kind of look at those moments in my social interactions where it might happen and today you know it's always carry a book with me for example if I'm going to meet someone if they would even at the last minute for some reason not show up or something happens I haven't built everything around that so there's always a flow of events you know so that I don't also impose that kind of immense amount of strain on the other person you know that they must be there every time but when we say yes to people when we don't mean it or no when we don't mean it and we are in the place of nice, we are giving our power away instead of empowering ourselves by speaking our truth. When we are kind, which is different, we say what actually needs to be said in a moment and we speak from a place of our truth. So being kind is really a school in honesty. And I would say that it's the only way to truly build good, solid, long-lasting relationships that are not what I call in the book entanglements, which I think a lot of these relationships between people are that we just don't know. And 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 it's a lot of it is our nervous systems kind of guiding the game. I'll add one more thing to this 
when I was practicing how to say no and how to say yes, the first thing I had to do was to actually learn to detect like what is my no and what is my yes because sometimes we say no when we mean yes and we say yes when we mean no and and there's that subtle tiny nudge when someone asks for us for a favor or something and we would like to show up for for various reasons but we know that okay in this moment I actually need to maybe take care of my own life force and when we start to give more space for ourselves to kind of honor the truth within us, that voice comes a little bit louder and louder, and it becomes easier for us to kind of notice it. And then after a lot of no's, maybe someone needs to take a month and just say no to everything, you know, for a while. Eventually, from that honest place of no, we can start to build the yes, because we do need to also show up to the people in our lives. But when we do it with honesty, there's less risk of us building resentment that we keep saying yes. And underneath, we kind of resent the people because they keep pushing stuff on our plate and we can't really do it. But it's up to us. You know, it's always that personal self-leadership in that sense as well and personal responsibility. I like that. I like that. And again, I feel like this is something that I know several of my close friends that struggle with saying no and a lot of my students. And so I think that that'd be a good thing to practice mm-hmm. is can we say no? And I think hidden in there, Elizabeth, is we learn by doing this, we learn that we can still be loved and we can still be accepted even when we say no, hopefully mm-hmm. if we're surrounded by the right people. And I would say if those people don't love you and, and accept you when you say no, then maybe they're not the right people in your life. So mm-hmm. it's it's okay, even though that primitive part of our brain is going to make it seem like this is life or death. If Elizabeth rejects me, I am, I don't know, I'm going to die. And and I, I say that jokingly, and, and I know Elizabeth, you agree with this, but that's what our brain sometimes will trick us into thinking yeah. This is a survival situation. If somebody rejects me, I'm going to be kicked out of the tribe and that's going to mean mm-hmm. a certain death sentence. And so we just got to play with that, right? We got to say, okay, say no. What was the worst that happened? What happened? I said no. Mm-hmm. And when, what happened? I still like Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. She said no. We're, we're still <laughs> friends. <laughs> it's a little different when it's maybe a complete stranger like I am, but it's probably harder to say no to close friends, right? Or family. But mm. I think this is all around those boundaries, right? Of, of protecting, mm. you know, you can only do so much in this world, this life. You only have so much energy. Where are you going to spend it? And mm. sometimes we need to honor that, as you said, that life force to say, no, I don't have, I don't have that energy to give you. Mm. And, and the thing is like, who are we showing up as if we say a yes when we mean no? You know, we're not appearing as we are but we are giving kind of like a a other or false version of ourselves you know so we're not in a place of honest relating and for me nowadays it's a curious beautiful place to kind of maybe it's because I'm you know finally past 40 I'm turning 42 this year so at some point in life you just gotta start being who you are and take the risk like not everyone's gonna like you not everyone's gonna like your no but that also acts as a little a little bit of a, a roadmap for me. You know, like, are we kind of all, are we playing the same with the same rule book of honesty? Because when I encounter a very strong reaction to a no, I can see that there is some kind of maybe, you know, we all have wounding 
you know, but we all are also called to work on our wounding, you know. So the thing is to use all of those little encounters as moments or windows into ourselves that we get data, you know, like, where do I get triggered when someone says, I know, you know, or do I have the courage to say, and, you know, when we just slow down and kind of dive into that, there's a whole world of understanding that lies for us, that is waiting for us. And one of my favorite quotes in the whole world really is from Carl Jung. And it goes along the lines of that, until we bring that which is unconscious into our consciousness, we call it becomes it becomes our fate, basically. It becomes our life, you know, and it will guide us when we'll call it our fate. So all of this work that I'm inviting people into this journey through the book, you know, and it's just to bring more awareness to why we behave, why we do, you know, because that gives us more spaciousness to really act instead of react so much yes i love that you know and that's what i would i would offer as well is if you have a strong reaction to somebody saying no to you i would say look inside and say why am i Mm -hmm. reacting that way and there's probably something in there to to kind of Mm -hmm. dig out the other thing i would say is we move on i think we need to move on from this topic i love this topic but what i would offer to the listeners also and Sometimes as we, because I've done some of this inner work as well. And sometimes instead of, you know, I don't have the courage to say no. So what do I do if I don't have the courage to say no? I'll say something really soft, like, well, maybe I'll get back to you and, and I'll see if I can fit this in or something like that. Right. So it's not necessarily a no, but in my mind, I know I just want to say no, but I don't mm-hmm. have the courage to do that. So be careful with that maybe straddling the fence of, of not saying yes or no and just giving this very vague answer people do this all the time and that can be a problem too same as elizabeth said is that authentic no it's not most of the time it's not yeah yeah and it simplifies things like it really just makes it so much more simple and and people will respond to honesty there is an energy to it almost that i would say when you just say it how it is and you can be polite and and gentle about it you know that's the thing with the gentle power have your no have very strong boundaries every single person who i've met who is exemplifying a lot of gentleness and love and has their kind of life together that they're not overextending themselves all of those people have very very firm boundaries as far as i have witnessed them but they're able to communicate those boundaries with love and with gentleness. Wonderful. Let's, let's transition that. You keep talking, you know, honesty, we talk about honesty, we showing up and being authentic, but you're also using these words, gentleness. And, and really, I don't know if you've said softness, but I think that's a little bit of what your, your book is all about as well. And so we taught, we started this conversation talking about something called Sisu, which I think you describe that as maybe an embodied fortitude. So, you know, for us, you know, outside of, of Finland, we might say, okay, that sounds like a lot like mental toughness, right? To be tough, to push on when it's really hard. Okay, that's one element of it. But you're also bringing in this other element of that's not always the right answer. I always like to say mental toughness is great. It's like a hammer. But when you have a hammer, everything <laughs> looks like a nail. And there's a part, there's an element of life that needs that softness, that 
that gentleness, that I, I you use the word yin and yang. So it's that strength and that softness, that kindness. So talk more about that. Why is that so important to, I mean, we're missing half the, the equation if we just talk about toughness, right? Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Like let's, let's bring in the whole color palette, you know, into this wild experience of human life and human relating. As I was preparing for a podcast, I was just, I checked in. There's a really nice article at, at Harvard Business Review. It's already from 2015 from Emma Seppala. She's a researcher at Yale and her focus is compassion. So she's a compassion researcher and Emma has written this piece so long time ago. And the title, if I remember correctly, is Why is Compassion a much more better managerial approach than toughness. So that's a good article for people to check out who, who want. But she describes how she names Amy Cuddy and she names Jonathan Haidt and Adam Grant and some of these people who've been researching pro-social behavior and leadership and, and compassion and kindness. And what happens is when, when I take it from like the organizational research world, is when employees witness leaders exemplify curiosity and compassion in tight spots, in tough, tough spots, it actually elicits, it elicits loyalty and because it helps create an environment that we can use the word emotional safety, for example. I'm kind of veering away from the psychological safety because I think these like the conversation has become so diluted with um, the psychological safe space and all of that that we're getting into a place where we don't have the space to actually have the boundaries and be tough as well. So it's a, it's a, seems to be a little bit of a difficult ground right now, but that's a different thing. So true compassion, which means that you, you meet other people looking at their humanity. So I always say that be tough on tasks, you know, and your goals, but we be, human to humans, you know, and, and gentle when we are dealing with the soft tissue, you know, of, of human life, you know, because we're all on a journey and we all have our, our, our past stuff, you know, that makes us vulnerable, you know. So um, I think the foundation for a lot of this work can be traced to Barbara Fredrickson, who's researched positive emotions and how they actually broaden and build even our cognitive capacities. So when we feel that we're in a space of trust and it's safe to take risk and we are being witnessed with benevolence, we're able to tap into our problem solving. We're able to tap into our courage and risk taking and all of these. So, so those two are, they go hand in hand. And that's why it is like softness is actually really the tough stuff because it, it helps open up these reserves in us that we haven't maybe years ago, 10 years ago, realized that it's the paradox, that it's actually the softness and the compassion that opens up, you know, all these results, you know, and the ability to perform, because that's what we also want to do in life. We want to achieve things, you know, it's, it's part of the part of the curriculum of human life. Yes. And this is where I'm going to go back to your, your word that I love so much. I was going to put it in the title of my book until I saw your book and I said, I can't do that. But oh, <laughs> revolution, revolution, you know, this idea, there's a there's an element in the, the world. I was going to say the United States. 
but I think it's it's not just the United States, but there's an element out there that is kind of on this this discussion about we want strong leaders, right? Mm-hmm. Strong leadership. And there's and I here's where the revolution is. I think there's a battle between do we want those strong leaders that don't care about us, that you know, just have that, I don't know, they the Elon Musk of the world. Let's just use that as an example. Elon Musk, strong leader. He doesn't give he doesn't give a lot of compassion from what I can tell to his his people that work for him, but it works for him. All right. So there's an element of people that say that's the way our leaders should be. I'm with you, Elizabeth. I think the leaders of the future are going to be those ones that have empathy, that have compassion, that have understanding, have kindness, have that soft side. All right. They can have the strength and they can have the soft side. So I think that's the revolution. And I don't know, who do you want to be led by? I'll ask you, the listener, who do you, do you want to be led by? Here's what I've been playing around with in my head. Do you want to be Mm -hmm. led by Elon Musk or do you want to be led by Ted Lasso? If you've watched the Ted Lasso show, he's a guy that's, it's all about being positive and being kind and treating people well. I think that's the future. That's the future leader. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Maybe I stole all your thunder there, Elizabeth. You can tell I get kind of passionate about this, but I think that's where we're going. That's where we need to go with our people when we lead them. Well, from the countryside of Finland, I'm not familiar with Ted Lasso. I would say that the 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 answer doesn't lie in either polarity, you know, either like extremity, but it's that's why the book is like gentle and power. You know, there's two really polar opposites and two sides which are in the cover, you know. So, and the bottom one is bold letters, gold bold letters is power. So we need to be able to, without being afraid that we have the strength within us, the fortitude to look into that and be able to tap into it in in ourselves. The book is an invitation for both gentleness and for both power. The book is an invitation to look into those parts in us where we have abused power in the past, maybe. Maybe we have witnessed it in our own lives. Maybe it was our parents. Maybe it was the leaders around that we have seen who have abused it, which has kind of made us go that we don't want to have anything to do with this. And yet... Power is a reality of life. You know, it is exchanged in every encounter that we have with other people. And we can leak it or we can consciously cultivate it like in Qigong or, you know, through martial arts or through whatever the practice is. And and we do need that power and we do need the, the mental fortitude also to lead ourselves in these tough times which are upon us right now and it doesn't exactly look like they're going away yet. So so there's going to need to be that power and toughness. And then here comes the thing, you know, which to me, I feel like this will be a lifelong journey that I will never run out of stuff to work on because how to stay tough without coming forceful, you know, how to be not hard, but hardy. So it is almost the impossible task of being this embodiment of life force and toughness so that people do know that they can rely on you, you know, and yet have it be held in this container of pure compassion 
So it's the combination of those two. And it always speaks to me like it's in the Tao Te Ching. Maybe it's chapter 28, maybe 23. But it says that we must know the yang, which is the tough, hard, masculine energy. It's the structure. It's the it's the forward-goingness. It's the, the toughness. We must all must know that. But we must abide to the yin, which is the compassion, the nurture, the softness. So our toughness needs to kind of be embraced in, in that in that container. So it is a combination of those two polar ends, I would say. A uniarchy. Yeah. yeah, and I would add that, you know, a lot of people will will say that leaders need to never show, you know, that softness, that weakness. And I think we would both disagree with that. But I want to I want to kind of pivot this conversation you recently did a multi multi-day long multi-day run i don't remember how many miles it was but but it was long and maybe you can talk briefly to that but the funny thing about it was and i'm going to quote from your book you said and this was running across new zealand you said surprisingly my run across new england taught me way more about surrender and suppleness than strict resolve and rigor and so again these are those two things that seem to be at odds Tell us a little bit about that. I know you went through a little bit of a, a moment during that run where you said, okay, should I keep pushing or should I pull back? Mm. And what does that look like and how can we navigate that? Mm. Yeah, there's a, that run for me was part of my PhD research on Sisu. I was a little bit, you know, when I started to research Sisu and I realized, okay, we have this concept that's we've had for 500 years in my native culture. And it's like one of the most precious words in the culture, you know, and it denotes life force and fortitude in the face of extreme adversity. So how do you actually go and research something and, you know, life force, like what a nightmare to actually do this, do the research on such a elusive concept, you know? So I decided that, um, Maybe the best way to go on about it is this laboratory's end of one and experiment on myself because you can't really get an IRB approval for, you know, put people in a burning house and see what happens, how they, how their CISO works, you know, and it's not cool, not ethical. So that journey for me was part of the research, but it also turned into this pilgrimage into my own make, you know, and who I am. And of course, it's easy to think like, you know, you have to run thousands of miles, I would say, because I ran before I went there. I started training for to run the length of New Zealand two years before the the other uh, run would take place. And so it's easy to look at that kind of a run, just like it is easy to look at our lives, you know, that whenever we want something, we just need to stay tough because we're so hardwired for that maybe of the narratives that we see around us you know maybe from my from our parents or wherever we grew up you know maybe we haven't seen a lot of those narratives that show us another way and for me I would say that the most important discovery from all of those it was 1500 miles and I ran 12 days consecutively 30 miles each day for the first 12 days and then I encountered an injury that was so bad that it forced me to change my, my, my tactic and pivot. And so I added cycling for that part. 
And I was able to kind of mix those two until the foot was better and then kind of just keep on going, powering the run, the journey through my own body. And we organized events along the way as well. It was this campaign to speak for creating compassionate cultures. And it was especially to break down the silence around interpersonal violence, emotional abuse, abuse that men and women are experiencing. So that was kind of the core of that on a personal level for me. And after those 12 days, the big epiphany was how hell-bent I was in doing the run in a certain kind of way. And then I started also feeling this, what I interpreted as an expectation from the outside world, where I was following the drumbeat of not my own, but the external world which can happen to all of us so easily that we set up on a journey and there's something we need to do. And suddenly we're actually running at another beat that is not ours. And that had happened to me too. And and oftentimes these are imagined, you know, like people are generally pretty busy doing their own things. So in our minds, we can forge a narrative, you know, and then suddenly we're living someone else's life, you know, in a broader scheme, you know, it can even happen. So there was a point I was having this very in, intimate dialogue with the road since I was <laughs> there all the time. So I had a lot of time. And at some point, because the road was kind of asking me questions, of course, it was my inner dialogue, you know, but it was challenging me. And at one point, you know, the road said to me that, Elizabeth, do you see that next bend over there miles away? And I said, yeah, I see it. It's like, well, guess what? There's going to be another bend after that bend and another one and another one that you will never run out of road to run. You can run to the end of it, end of the earth if you want. And then, because I was in so much pain at that point, the realization kind of the, the message from the road for me was that the pain will end when you make it end. And on a personal level, just realizing how in a weird way, because I was so conditioned to be such a a warrior and to be such survivor, that it was easier for me to be hard on myself than to be gentle and soft. And, and there's the thing, we need both of these worlds. And that's where my shell cracked. And that paved the way to all of this kind of the CISO 2.0 and realizing that it is not just about that mental toughness. Because when I gave in in that moment, there was a softening that happened in me. I was able to kind of come back to my senses. And again, that positive emotion, which can also be a sense of safety within oneself. I mean, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. But something softened in me and I surrendered to not try to control and force the outcome. Uh, And I was able to find more strength in me to actually carry on so it is the paradox of gentleness which is for all of us there too there's a lot for us to unearth in that topic yeah that is so deep right you know i think to myself mental toughness or sisu doesn't have room for surrender right i mean we we think this right and, and that's why i go back to if if mental toughness is all you have in your toolbox that's not enough. And so that's a hard thing. I think for a lot of people that are very driven, very, you know, maybe type A personalities, 
to say, this is a time for me to surrender. This is a time for me to give in. Uh, mm-hmm. I know for me personally, that's a hard thing to do because then I go, am, am I no longer tough because I've now surrendered? And so this is this is a hard thing to sit with. And, you know, I, I come back to this idea and, and maybe you can help me with this, Elizabeth. Do I do hard things? And I'm, I'm talking, I'm speaking for myself here. Do I do hard things to maybe in some way punish myself? You know, that pain, mm-hmm. like you said, the pain will end when you allow it to, to end. Mm-hmm. And so why do I, why do I put myself through this pain that when I read your book and I read that passage, it's like, wow, it was like a mind blow of. What's been driving me to inflict pain on myself? And, and by the way, if you're doing an ultra marathon, there's going to be some pain involved. And so mm. I don't know. What do you think? Is that maybe self-punishment or maybe a different word? I think, you know, I would even invite a little bit of gentleness to even that because, you know, in a funny way to do hard things and kind of punish ourselves, it, it for a lot of us, it might be it's familiar you know, it is a way for us to kind of align our behavior to something that in our past allowed us to survive and control the situation, you know. So for someone, if we develop a certain kind of coping pattern as a ch- as kids, if we don't, let's say, get, I'm not saying this is yours or my, the, the patterning, but when we don't necessarily, let's say, get the softness and the attention and the care from our caregivers as children, one attachment style we can create and adopt is what's called, for example, avoidant. So we realize, okay, we don't get that safety and that affirmation from the external world. We're going to turn into ourselves and we can always look here to, you know, solve everything, to push through, to, to achieve. And that can be a really good and powerful formula for achievement for being super mentally tough, you know, getting all the awards, running the marathons, you know, and all of that stuff, because it aligns with our pattern that we know that works for us, you know, and we're so used to the pain, you know. So for me, one of the big changes has been to really slowly let go of this need to always learn the hard way and, and just allow there to be a little bit of balance that what can I learn through love and softness, you know, and self-care. Does it need to be so tough all the time? And it was a a realization for me that I learned that I was following a pattern there. And I just want to blow your mind a little bit with that, because you mentioned the title of the book a few times, and it says revolution. And, you know, when you look at the word revolution, what do you have in the middle backwards? You have love. Wow. I know. It's cool. It's like, so the book is kind of structured in a cute way that there's so many little, because it's so personal to me. So these tiny little codes everywhere, you know, the revolution, it's about love, you know, and we can use words like compassion and connection and, you know, all these things. But ultimately what it comes down to is like, are we able to love and keep our heart open when things get tough, you know, and stay in the moment with our partner, you know, when we feel like turning away, have the hard conversations, but yet see the human that's there next to us, you know, and the cover of the book, which is this ocean blue, and it has these golden lines. It's the idea comes from Japanese art called Kintsugi, 
which means that it is to repair something that has been broken with gold. Because mm. they had this practice that when a, a vase or some kind of a art piece would crack, instead of throwing it away, you actually mend it with gold and it becomes even more precious because it's not thrown away. So the message of the book is really to take what is the most precious in us, which is the our courage to love in spite of we all have been hurt by someone at some point. It sometimes doesn't even make any sense to be vulnerable or or to give a second chance, you know, or take that risk to be soft in a world where it really only makes sense to have, you know, this shield and, and go with that to the outer world, you know? So it is an act of courage. I would say it's an act of rebellion to bring gentleness into this mm. world, what's going on right now. But at the same time, mm. we also need toughness. We need gentleness and we need the power. And you put those together and that's superpower. <laughs> yes, I think that's a powerful combination. You know, I listened to one of your previous podcasts when I was doing research and, and you used the word especially when you had that moment after 12 days in the race or, or the, the run where you said, am I honoring myself? Can you talk more about that? What, what does that mean to you? You know, when you come to that decision point, should I push on or should I pull back? Should I surrender? Should I keep moving forward? I think each of those has its moment and its, its value, but how, how do we make that decision? And I think maybe you're saying, am I honoring myself by moving forward? Is that kind of what I was getting from that? Mm, I, I love you really are picking up these gems from, from, from the journey and from the book. There's kind of two things I'll try to remember to bring them both here. One way to tell if our Sisu is constructive, because, you know, we all have those moments in our lives that just like what you are alluding to that, you know, should I push on and, and ramp up the, the ante? Or should I pull back and, and lessen the pace, you know, or should I quit, you know, or should I continue? And they're always personal. There isn't really like a one size fits all. But one thing we can do is to ask ourselves that if I continue with this practice that I'm doing and it feels super tough. And yes, we do need to do tough, tough things in life. It's just part of life. We need to show up and do the heavy lifting at times. But if I look at myself doing this thing over and over and over and over again for a long period of time, is the end result such that it is life-giving? You know, is it going to take me to a place where more life can be expressed and it's good for me, it's good for the other people, and or is it the opposite? So projecting oneself and kind of simulating a long-term thing of what will happen. And to ask, am I honoring myself? That very useful tool came to me from a man who I really respect a lot and who is gentle power. And he is Mark Allen, who's the mm, six-time Ironman world champion. And I had the honor and luck when I was living in the US some years ago that I got to take part in a retreat that Mark was facilitating with Brand Secunda. And it's called along the lines of, you know, healthy body, healthy spirit, you know, but it's kind of the idea of bring the body and the soul together, you know. And 
when the retreat was over, I told Mark that I had this completely crazy dream and this thing that I'm training to run the length of New Zealand, that would you have one advice for me? And, and he's this really gentle man, you know, like what a tough human you have to be that you do, you, you win seven Ironman world champions. It's a tough thing to do one, but then to go to that level is a completely another thing, you know? And so he has managed to not become hardened by a hard thing that he's done. But but he's done that alchemical near impossibility that you remain soft while you're being tough. So he looked at me and, and he said that the most important thing that I want to kind of remind you of just just to honor yourself throughout the process. And this wisdom landed in my in my memory and my in my lap when I was on that day 12 when I was really struggling. And I kind of projected myself another 38 days into the future, day 50, when I would be done with the run, let's say, imagine that I did it and I look back how I did it. Can I say that I honored myself and I honored other people? What is the legacy I lived through this? Like, do I do it at all cost and and maybe risk some kind of permanent injury? Is that the story I want to tell? And that allowed me to know what to do in that situation and and really take the run to a different level because I saw how deeply it impacted and moved people that I was able to change my strategy and not push onwards like hell bent, even though we celebrate those stories, you know, when someone doesn't give up no matter what. But here's the message of Sisu as well, that we are humans, we are not machines, hopefully we'll never be. And that is the, the beauty of this path of Sisu. When you start to follow it, when I follow it, it is always an invitation to really know who we truly are. And it's a path in honesty. You know, sometimes we have to allow ourselves to also change our minds about something and fail you know, but with those success, successes and failures, they together form that beautiful map of life, you know, and the, the quilt. It consists of all the colors of life, you know. So much wisdom there. I, I think maybe the, if I were to sum that up, it's okay for all the listeners out there. And even for me, I think I need to hear this message. It's okay to, you know, whatever word you want to use. I always say winners do quit. I don't like the the saying winners never quit. That's ridiculous. Winners are just smart about when they quit. My coach taught me there's two types of quits. There's a shit quit and there's a legit quit. And sometimes, you know, we, we, we've got to do the legit quit. There's a good reason for me to quit. And mm-hmm. if listening to Elizabeth here and we should be, are you honoring yourself? And, and again, if you don't like the word quit, use pivot, use, you know, surrender, whatever it is that, that I think, feels good for you. But I think the message here is you're exactly right. We celebrate the people that have the broken ankle and they keep running the the ultra marathon. Right. And I've heard, I've read these stories. I'm just like, Oh my gosh, how do they do that? And then I think to myself, should we be celebrating that? I don't know. I'll leave that to, to everybody to think about, but I do think that there's room here for that idea that we Mm. don't always have to push on. And that's okay. And maybe it goes all the way back to the beginning of this. You will still be loved and you will still be accepted 
if you don't push on always. Right. And I think that's for me, I'm always, I think I'm always looking for that somebody to say, I'm proud of you. Right. Mm-hmm. So if I'm tough and I keep pushing on that, somebody's going to go, wow, you're awesome, Ron. And, and I'm proud of you. And I, and I get that acceptance, but here's mm-hmm. the thing. I'm still the same person, whether I keep going or not. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a tough one. I don't think it's easy for all of us to, to say, mm-hmm. especially when we embrace this idea of toughness, it's hard for many of my friends to quit. Right. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of my friends that are, that are ultra runners and, and Ironman triathletes and that sort of thing. So I think there's a message here for all of us though, that there's some wisdom there. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth, I, I, I want to keep going, but I know <laughs> Let's do a five-hour podcast. <laughs> yes, I know that I'm, I'm actually at this point being a little bit rude that I'm taking you over time, and so maybe one day oh, we good. can get we could get on and have another discussion because I could I seriously could do this for many hours. There's so much more that I wanted to unpack, but let's start to wrap this up. How can people buy your book? And by the way, I'll have all this in the show notes. But how can people buy your book and maybe work with you? What do you have going on? Those sort of things. Hmm. So csulab.com. So everything is there. There's a link to the book as well, Gentle Power. And I, by the way, the audio. So I read that myself. And uh, yeah, it was a really wonderful experience. It's the first time ever that I did anything like that. And And to work with me, you know, I would say that so there's a quote that I heard from Ram Das. It was some podcast with him, you know, from, from the 80s or something. And he said that until we're all free, nobody is free. Or that nobody's free until everyone is free, you know. So so it speaks to that interdependence, interconnectedness that we have. So if it feels good, you know, after this podcast podcast to choose one practice that calls to you, I'm speaking to both of us, you know, speaking to all the listeners that will help you cultivate that life force. Maybe it's a leakage that you block or, or it's something that you do to nurture that life, that gold, you know, and and inter and and connect that to your daily routines, gentle, gently, you know? So in a way, I'm just being a little bit philosophical now, but that's a way to work with me. Because, you know, when you work, you, you, you work kind of with me. And then when I work on myself, I work with you because, because everything I do on my private time when nobody's watching, which is Sisu, you know, it's, it's a form of that integrity that when no one is looking, what do you do? And, and that will be shown, you know, when I show up to people. And so that's why that personal work is so important. So that's a way to, way to work with me and you and us and all together. I, I know that is so beautiful. I, I got to say it. That is, I love that. Yeah. Work on you and the whole world's going to get a, you know, it, it's been said in different ways, obviously, but that's really at the heart of what you're saying here is I think all of us need to do that inner work and make the world a better place. So I'm with you. I'm with you, Elizabeth. I'm still a work in progress. I've come a long ways, but But I'm going to still continue this. And even after this conversation, and I can't wait to finish your book, there's plenty of things that I'm I'm writing down notes of, okay, I want to work on this. I want to explore this. I want to look closer at this. 
So there's a lot of things that are sparking for me to kind of get mm-hmm. to know myself better. So I hope that mm-hmm. you guys go out and, and I don't, I don't know. I highly recommend Elizabeth's book. I've gone through enough of it to know this is, this is a book that you're going to like. And so check it out. And my students that maybe are listening, you're going to have to read this this summer. I've, I've decided. So Oh my God, that's be, so cool. Yeah, it'll be fun to see <laughs> that's what a they think about it. Yeah, yeah. So I think they're going to enjoy it. So let's get to the last question, Elizabeth. It's always a hard one, right? And we do hard things on the Forging Metal podcast, but and, mm. and you're obviously familiar with with Sisu. I'm up for a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what is your What is your biggest challenge if you if you feel safe to share, and mm. what did you learn from it? My biggest challenge, I think. I'm going to, if you allow me, I'm going to go to the original form of the question, which is my biggest failure. I'm sorry. That's what I meant. Yeah. 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 I'm like, I'm up for the task. I'm, I'm, I'm always up for taking the little bit, you know, the, the, the demanding road. It, it is, I would say the first thing that comes to my mind is, and while I honor myself that I just didn't, I couldn't do it earlier and I didn't know. So I did what I could with the knowledge that I had at the time. But the biggest failure, I would say, is to not sooner realize and recognize and understand the interdependent nature of us as humans, you know, that how determinedly I tried to do it on my own. And I closed off and I closed my heart off from, from, you know, people near me, you know, from, and it didn't look like that. You know, I was doing things that were very like, social and all that but inside me I was a one woman army and one woman warrior for a long time and yet you know I have so much compassion for that woman who really had to survive you know so she she had to do those things but I think I wish that I would have understood that earlier you know but maybe it's part of this life developmental phase you know the good old 40s you know or something like that but but maybe not a failure, but I do admit my shortcoming there, you know, because this is important, like to find unity, not create division, you know, and have the courage to keep the heart open. It's magic. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then... Join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media.